Thank you, thank you. What a privilege to have known Gabe forever and Chris. And so I'm representing today, this is the next-gen shirts that are going to be passed out. I think if you volunteer, you can get these shirts. There are other ways to get them. For example, as I was coming into church today, I spilled coffee on my other shirt. So Mariah miraculously appeared and said, do you want to represent New City today? So I think if you spilled coffee on the shirt that you're wearing presently, you could get his shirt as well. I'm not sure about this. Maybe you might have to ask Dylan. So we're going through a series called This Passage Changed My Life. So when I was thinking about this, it's really about the disciples. So I'm always enamored. I, I think I like Peter a lot because he's always putting his foot in his mouth, always saying the wrong thing, kind of is trying, but also is kind of, you know, a lot more um, self-preserving. And so I love it that these disciples are the ones God chose to use to change and then change the world. Literally, in a human sense, the reason we are all gathered here today is because of the disciples. Because God chose to use these knuckleheads, if you will. And really, like with the passage we go through today, you're just like, you, you're kidding me. They weren't that, uh, you know, totally under, misunderstanding Jesus, but they were. And yet we know the end of the story and, and so that gives me hope. So I'm always coming back to their story and seeing who are they and how is Jesus discipling them through circumstances, through stories, and how can that disciple me? And how, how can that disciple us and inform us about how we should live and what God's kind of agenda is in making us into literally the image of Jesus here on earth, among our friends and family and such. So I'm going to start right in, right at the beginning, where um, Adam read the passage. Thank you, Adam. And we'll start right at the beginning of the story and just kind of meander through and see what we can find. So verse 14 says, When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some of the teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. So if... If you kind of think this way, as soon as I started with the passage, when they had returned, you should kind of say, who? When who returned? And what's going on here? It feels like we're already in progress. Well, we're joining the story right after three of the disciples got to go on a mountaintop experience with Jesus. So it's called the transfiguration. Maybe it looked like this. A friend of mine drew this. And I, that's incredibly cool. And Peter, of course, we won't get into it, but Peter, of course, is just saying stupid things. Oh, let's make this a, a temple and let's really worship here. This is so cool. And what he's looking at, if you will, is a picture of the second coming of Jesus. You know the song, my, I got in the car yesterday and my wife was playing this song, I Can Only Imagine. You remember that? I can only imagine what that day will be. Well, these three guys didn't have to imagine. God gave them a gift, and they experienced what is to come. And it changed them forever. The three, and, and really most of the disciples, experienced martyrdom, 
because of what they saw and knew to be true and experienced really harsh persecution. They lived that because they saw it. So I'm just going to stop and just ask you this question. Have you had an experience with God that if you go back in time and you remember it, you say, wow, that was a moment where I know he met me in a really amazing way, where he showed up and, and came through for me or taught me something or revealed who he is. So I'd love for you to just jot that down and say, tonight or this afternoon or tomorrow morning, I'm just going to sit and think through where God has met me and remember that. In the Old Testament, it's called an Ebenezer. They would create literally an an altar, an Ebenezer, to remind uh, folks where God had met them. Because when trials come, that's a good place to go back to. By the way, this is an Ebenezer. The ring on my finger is an Ebenezer that reminds me of promises I've made and love I've experienced and how God has met me in deep ways, right? So these kind of things we do all the time, but the more Ebenezers you put in your life to remind you where God has worked will help you in a hard time. Okay, so they have this experience. This is amazing. And by the way, the voice of God speaks to them and says, this is my son. Hear him, listen to him. So that's the communication that they get. And then they come down off of the mountain. And here's what it says they experience. You know, this um, crazyville is what I call it. Real life, a great crowd, religious leaders arguing with the other nine disciples. And uh, let's pick up at verse 15. It says, and when the crowd saw Jesus, so Jesus is coming with the other three, They were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. And Jesus says, what's all the arguing about? And one of the men in the crowd spoke up, and he said, Teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk, and whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him down violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Walk in this man's shoes for a moment. This is really incredibly hard. He's been walking with this child for his whole life, and all of this infirmity and an evil spirit and all of these things are happening to this kid. And he's at the end of his rope, and he comes to Jesus. Can you relate to that? I remember a story. So um, this is my daughter and my lovely wife. My wife is Janet. Ryan is to my left here. And by the way, JJ uh, mentored her when she was middle schooler. So thank you again. And uh, so they, Ryan, just in this picture, this is a moment where they are hiking up at Boone Fork Trail, somewhere, you know, um, out in the middle of nowhere. They're, and they're hiking. Ryan just got a car. And so when I say a new car, it's more like new to you. So it was new like 15 years old, new to you. And, yeah, this is stories. But she wanted to drive it, so they drove that car up to the trail, did this hiking all day, took pictures all along the way. So 
They get done. They arrive at the, um, you know, where their car is, and the car will not start. So now it's about 6 o'clock, and it's getting dark. And uh, they go to the forest ranger, and he's leaving. So, by the way, their phones are now dead. So they can't call me on the phone. They can't call anybody. So they go to this forest ranger. He's locking up. He lets them use the phone. So Janet is calling, and she calls me, and she says, "Uh, the the car is dead. We don't know what to do. And we are about to be cast out into the darkness. Can you help us? I I have nothing. I don't even know what to do, and she hangs up. She says, I'm at exit 73, and she hangs up. You ever been there? Felt that? You go from the mountaintop to that, or I had a family just a few weeks later call me up, and they said, our child, our baby is about to be born, and we think it's, the baby's not going to make it. Will you come up and pray for our child? And I'm just driving, just in a panic. I have no idea what to do. That's what's going on in this story. When you read the stories of the scripture, you are supposed to hear it through your own eyes and say, when have I been there? And what did I do? And what should I do in this situation? And by the way, not all situations are the same. We all have them, and they all work out in different ways. God does not work the same way. But here's the big question. Who will you depend on when times are getting hard? Who will you naturally go to and lean on when the times get hard? So this particular situation has an evil spirit. And the story, this is important, the story describes the situation and does not prescribe to us what we should do. So in other words, it tells us this particular story, which has an evil spirit involved. But it doesn't prescribe that every situation you have has a, an evil spirit behind it. You remember the, the quote by Flip Wilson back in the 60s, the devil made me do it? Some of you remember that, and some of you are looking at me like, don't know Flip Wilson, don't even know what you're talking about right now. But the point would be that he's looking for a devil under every rock, under every situation. So I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. This is my favorite book of all time. By the way, if you've never read it, The Screwtape Letters, please go get it and read it. It's about a senior demon writing to a junior demon about how to mess humans up. And it's like reading the devil's mail. But here's a quote that C.S. Lewis says in it. There are two equal and opposite Um, errors into which our race can fall in about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. And the devils are equally pleased with either error. So in other words, if you're looking at a situation and it's hard and you go, you know, like I'm walking to the refrigerator and I stub my toe and I'm like, spiritual warfare. Where is it? What is it? Okay, if that's my go-to, it says the devils are pretty happy with that. If you're looking for the devil everywhere, then you're misled. But if I also say I'm not listening, and this certainly couldn't be spiritual, 
then I'm missing it as well. It really comes back to who am I leaning to? Who am I looking to for my answer in the midst of it? It should be Jesus, right? So here's the situation. Here's the intensity. Now let's see how the three groups or three individual, three different parties deal with this. How the disciples deal with it, how Jesus deals with it, and how this father deals with it, okay? So I hope you find yourself in these and say, I want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. And how do I not, okay? So let's look at the situation, see how they deal with it. So remember the dad said to the disciples, I asked your disciples, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. So he's like ratting on the disciples, right? Jesus comes down, and he's like, yeah, these guys, they couldn't, the nine, they're, what are they doing here? They could not cast out the demon. And so Jesus, at the end of the story, he does a little debrief, and that was the last verses that Adam read. So let's go to the debrief and see what really happened in the story. So it's verse 28 and 29. It says, afterwards, after the situation um, with, the, with the demon and with the son, uh, afterwards, Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, and they asked him, why, why couldn't we cast it out? I'm just guessing that it was that way. And Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Do you mean they were trying to cast out a demon without Jesus, without praying? You mean they were trying to get involved in suffering and the pain of another person just on their own strength, on their own wisdom and recognizance, whatever they knew they did, right? Now, why would, why would they do that? Because I, I do that all the time. A neighbor comes to me and is in a hard situation. I just start giving them advice. I'm not talking to God and asking for wisdom. I'm just, here's what I would do. Here's what we did when we raised kids and all that, right? This is just me. I think that's what they're doing because in Mark 6, three chapters before, Jesus commissioned them to go out two by two and to cast out demons. So they've got some experience with this. And they're like, you know, I remember back in the day. And by the way, those big three, how did they get to go to the top of the mountain? And the rest of us are here. Let's do this. Let's do this. We know how to do it, right? Let's just cast out the demons. Jesus is going to come back and he's like, you are the man or the nine of you are the men, right? Um, and so they just kind of launch in and they are doing it on their own. But notice their focus, their phrase. Why couldn't we? In other words, let me say it a different way. Whose fault is this? Whose fault is it that the demon didn't get cast out, that this boy didn't get healed, that the father is still in turmoil? Whose fault is that? Like This is what we naturally do, right? When we own the story and we think the story is about us, then shame is coming around the corner when we fail and we got no protection because we think the story is about us. I'm trying to find, um, you know, my own self-realization here instead of saying, oh, Lord, I need your help. This is, this is a struggle, right? Is, am I the only one in the room who would naturally go, uh, whose fault was this, Lord? It can't be mine. Is it mine? Oh, 
Let me slow down for a second and just focus on the disciples because that's why I'm talking about the disciples because they are worth looking at. The passage right after this story, the disciples start arguing again. So they're arguing with the religious leaders, um, and now they're arguing again about each other. And listen to what verse 34 says. Jesus asks them a question. What have you guys been talking about while you're walking on the road? And it says this, verse 34. But they didn't want to answer him because they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Now, I wouldn't have ever said that about the disciples if it wasn't in the Bible. Surely they're not walking with Jesus and and following him and learning from him and then having an argument about who's the best Christian in the group? Who do you think it is? It's got to be one of the three, right? Because they got invited up there. It's not one of the nine, right? They're having this argument. Have you ever done that? Like thought that the body of Christ is a competition instead of a collaboration? Thinking that... The body of Christ universal is working together with the same mission, with the same vision, with the same Lord, right? But here they're arguing. What they're really saying is, who's number one? Can you believe that? I can only believe it because I do it, right? Only because it's like, ouch, again, ouch. So one more. The very next story, like, so these are like bang, bang, bang. While they're all walking, they're just kind of having a conversation with Jesus. So verse 38 says this. John said to Jesus, now he's one of the three, so he's supposed to be kind of a little bit more in the know. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus. Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. But we told them to stop because they weren't in our group. Like, so get this right. They were succeeding in casting out demons, but we told them to stop because they weren't part of our group. Notice they don't even, John doesn't even say they weren't part of you or they weren't pleasing you or they weren't doing the things that you had taught us. It's part of our group. They weren't part of us. The question is, who's in our group, right? Ouch, 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 ouch. Like, okay, yeah, But Jesus stopped them because they're not in our church. They're not in our denomination. They don't vote like we do. They don't do all these things that we naturally now create, right? So let me summarize the disciples in these three things. Here's who they are. They depend on themselves. And by the way, they pass blame and shame to themselves when they fail. Ouch. They are exclusive. They're not one of our group. And they're stuck on comparisons. Who does that sound like? Anybody? They're clueless to their own inadequacies to help people in suffering and in pain and spiritual situations. But I'm jumping up and down right now, okay? Mike, jumping up and down. There is hope for them. This, I love this. This is why I'm talking about this. There is hope for them because these are the very ones God uses to change history. And there's hope for them, so there's hope for us. Because of Jesus. Because God is going to change them. And these are going to be the ones leading the church in such a beautiful way. 
But for right now, not so much. So now let's see what Jesus is going to do, which is always the hope anyway. Like, okay. Thank you, Peter. Um, can you move over there for us a little bit? In verse 21, we see what Jesus does. See the chaos, the crazy, the arguing, the noise, and Jesus sits in front of the man and says, how long has this been happening to your son? And he replies, since he was a little boy. All the crowd, all the noise, and in the midst of the commotion, Jesus is present with this father. He enters into his suffering. You know that Jesus asked two times as many questions as he was asked because he's curious. He's listening. The disciples are solving problems. Jesus is present with this man, entering into the mystery of sorrow. It reminds me of this story that I heard from Mr. Rogers. So Mr. Rogers, um, I think Mr. Rogers had a hand in me finding Jesus. Because, you know, he was a pastor, and he was on the PBS channel every morning, and he would lean into the TV and say, you are special. You have value and worth. And I think one day as a teenager when I heard the gospel, it made sense to me. And I think he was a part of it. So Mr. Rogers one day is kind of accosted by a cynic, a guy who thinks he's a scam artist who thinks he's not really that nice, who doesn't talk to children that way, that doesn't care about their well-being. And Mr. Rogers says to this man, do you know who the most important person in the world is to me right now? And the man's like, no, I don't know. Mother Teresa, what, a, who? And he says, you. Because you're in front of me right now. God has put you here. And so I care about how you are and how you're doing. And to me, that's a Christ follower. Not, uh, I think, so uh, Bob told us a story today, and I think this is right. Jesus puts his followers in places to represent him well. And some of those places we don't want to be. And those situations and the suffering and the pain and hard conversations. But Jesus puts his people in those places to reflect him. Not so that you get the credit. Not so that people go, wow, you are amazing. you got so much wisdom. But so that they see the Christ you follow. And it changes everything. Like Christ to be present with people. So I want to say this. I'm meandering into a little bit of testiness. But who is in front of you day by day? Your children? Please don't be texting and on Instagram and all of this while your kids are in front of you. Instead, be present with them. And by the way, we just had our first grandchild. And yes, yay God. Yeah, but that time goes by fast and you have moments Sit with them. Or the barista who's serving you. Instead of being on the phone and like doing business and like, you didn't get it right. Come on, do it again. Christ puts his followers in front of people to represent him. You go, well, I wasn't wearing a Christian shirt or anything like that, so nobody knew. Yeah, I think God is, is bigger than the T-shirts you're wearing, right? He's putting you in those places, whether you're at Lowe's and and 
you know, I'm following my father-in-law around and he's doing his thing and I'm trying to say, sorry for what he said, but we're good, right? How was your day? You know, following people around, but being present is the most Christ-like thing I think you can do, is to be present with people because people matter to God. So who's in front of you? Don't act like it's an accident that you were there on that plane and you, you didn't want to be on that plane and you don't want to talk to that person. And look, they're right there. You have no idea what they're going through, but Christ, I believe, puts you there for that reason. So that's what Jesus does. Jesus is present and Jesus sits with this man and enters in with him. One more person. Let's look at the father the father of this particular son. So verse 22 says this. The the man is telling Jesus what happens. He says, the spirit often throws, the evil spirit often throws my son into the fire or the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us if you can. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? And I think he's, he's got a smile on his face and he's drawing him out. It's not a correction exactly. It's more like you're here because you think I can do something. What do you mean if I can? Help me understand. And the man says, and Jesus says, anything is possible if you believe. And the father instantly cries out. He says, I I do believe. Uh, Oh, but help my unbelief. I read this commentary that Timothy Keller said this is maybe the most humble prayer in the Bible. This is the only man who's being honest. This is the only man who's stepping up here and saying, Lord, I'm trying, but I'm full of doubts. And then Jesus heals the boy. Everybody thinks he's dead. And, and, you know, all of this stuff is going on. But Jesus heals. He answers the prayer and heals. And it says very clearly, You do not have to have your life together. You don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. Actually, if you keep striving to be perfect, that would kind of keep you away because you would think you're doing it on your own like the disciples were. But he has repentant helplessness. It's like, I got no other option. That's a good place to be. Look what the man's prayer is. The dad's prayer is this. He knows what he desires. He loves his boy so much. You know, Jesus, one of the most important questions Jesus asks is, what do you want? Most of the time, we don't know what we want. We don't even know what we're trying to get. Jesus says, what do you want? The man would say, I love my son. Please help him. Also, he's aware of his own helplessness. The distance of, like, I can't do this without your help. That's a good place to be. We try to do everything to stay away from that. This is really true. Without him, we can do nothing. Thirdly, he has an acceptance of Christ's assurance. When Jesus says, I'll heal him, and he goes and does it, he believes that. And he leans into it. This is saving grace. This is depending on Jesus and staying close to him. I love this. He asked for healing. He got a healer. That's a big difference. Lots of times we just go, can you just take care of this? Can you just give me grace? You cannot get grace without the grace giver. 
He it comes in the package. You're actually asking for him, and through him, he gives you what you need. Isn't that great? And Jesus, like, look at this verse. Jesus then goes over to the boy and takes him by the hand and raises him up. Even there, he's intimate because he could just go, presto, okay, uh, let's keep going. But he goes over to the little boy, raises him up. Like sometimes it is the best thing to sit with somebody and look them in the eye and raise them up and be a part of raising them up. Isn't that beautiful? And by the way, it, the next verse after this, Jesus says, the son of man will suffer and be crucified and three days rise again. Which means the reason why the man will get a healer instead of just healing and grace instead of just, and a grace giver instead of grace is because of the cross. Jesus is going to the cross and everything will change. The old will be made new, life among the dead. And it's because he brings life and then calls us to trust in that. That's why they get this beautiful change, not only grace, but Jesus, not only mercy, but Jesus, because he came to be with us, not just to give us the grace, but actually to be present with us doing that. Can you believe that? So here's what prayer is. The prayer is literally the chasm between how much I love and how inadequate I am to help the situation out. Prayer's that in the middle, okay? So the more that I know I love, the more that I lean in, the more that I care for the broken world and the situations in my family, and the more I realize my lack of ability to help, I can do two things. I can despair or I can lean into Jesus. And he is that in-between that heals and brings life to all of that. So the story that I told you where the, where the family came to me and said, our daughter is about to be born and they think she's going to die, here's a picture of them. I get a picture now every year. So she is Eloise over in the back holding the puppy, Winnie, seven years ago. So they send me this picture every year. But that's, yeah, like you go up to pray over that, and you have no idea what to do except pray. And God chose to tell a different story, and that child is born and doing great. And my wife, and because uh, I know a few of you are afraid, like, is Janet still up on the mountain? Well, she's there. So you won't believe this. They called and left the message, left the information, and now I'm sitting with a friend, Will, and we pray. And I'm praying something like this like this man's prayer. I have no idea what to do. Lord, I believe, but I don't know what you're going to do. And I can't even call them back. And I remember a mechanic who actually sold us the car. He's in Fort Mill. Like maybe they can give some information. I can drive it up or something. I don't know. So I call this mechanic and I said, here's the situation. And what can they do, Mark? And he says, he's a real Southern man. So I'm just going to act like him. He goes, well, pastor, what exit are they at? I'm like, um, exit 73. No lie. Well, I'm at 75. I just passed, dropped off my daughter up in Boone. Let me just run by and see how they're doing. You're two exits away. You are two miles away from my wife right now. 
Yeah, I'll just go see you and get the car started. <laughs> Brought him home. Like, can you believe that? Now, God works all different ways in all situations. But prayer is that thing in between when you know, I don't know how to get up there. There at exit 73, and it's dark, and I don't know what to do when I get to the car, right? And God works in all these ways. He works now, too. So let me give you a quote from my favorite book this year, Gentle and Lowly. If you have not read that book, read it. But it tells kind of like about what this story is with Jesus. It says, okay, but that was Jesus when he lived on earth, right? Like we're telling the story and reading the Bible. Jesus did that then, but what about now? What about today? Well, here we remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, the same Jesus who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who healed the child puts his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. And the Jesus who reached out and cleaned these messy disciples reaches into our soul and answers our half-hearted pleas for mercy. That's the faithful Jesus who we need. That's who we lean to for our help and for our way out. So let me kind of conclude with this. I think the answer forward is prayer. That we keep, the, the scriptures say, pray without ceasing. So how in the world would we do this? So I'm going to invite you in to my mornings. I, I, I read um, this from Martin Luther that he used the Lord's prayer and he riffed on it. Like literally he would use it as a prototype to just pray about what was going on during the day. So I'm just going to invite you in. I'm going to show you how I pray. So I'm going to pray right here. And maybe you could take it this week and try that and see how that would work with you and how that would help you connect with God, okay? So join me. And then I would start with this. Our Father, Lord, I cannot believe that I have the privilege of calling you Father that I am your beloved son. I cannot believe that you encourage me to do that. And Lord, I take that as a privilege. And so I call you father. And yet you are in heaven and you're hallowed, set apart, different. And so I respect you. I'm in awe of you. And I sit before you as one needing your holiness. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Lord, I have confessed I'm working on my kingdom. I am trying to make myself look good. I'm trying to make my family um, thrive and flourish, and I am focused on my stuff. But for this moment, I say, your kingdom come. Your will be done, not mine, but yours. Lord, would you give today the daily bread that I would be generous, that I would be content with what came from your hand and that I would be grateful forgive my debts, Father you know them, you know this is what I've said you know, this is what I've thought. You know, this is how I've acted towards people. 
forgive my debts. As I forgive my debtors, Lord, you know that person that I cannot get over and I think of all the time and I hope I won't see him. You know that. Would you help me to release his debt? Lead me not into temptation. Lord, I'm already looking for temptation. Please lead me away from that. And, and, and help me, Lord, to be delivered from evil. Will you close with this with me? For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory, Lord, forever. Amen. Let's stand and worship again.